The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited for today's episode with Allison. She is awesome. And I think it's a very important subject to get into because we all have anxiety in some way or another. And some, you know what, if that doesn't apply to you, that's amazing. You are blessed. But, you know, especially in 2023, when everything is online, well, almost 2024, everything is online, social media, we see our friends hanging out without us, we see photos that give us FOMO, all these things. And, you know, we're more self-aware than ever. And so I think that we're tuned into if we have anxiety or not, like that's just a normal thing. And how does anxiety affect us? Well, sometimes it affects us when it comes to our relationships. And sometimes when we are especially getting into a new relationship, we don't really know how to vocalize the fact that we have anxiety. We don't really know how to know if it is our anxiety, like our relationship OCD, which Allison explains, or if it's not the right person for us, or if we're like self-sabotaging. So Allison is great. She's a mental health advocate. She has a podcast. She's an author. So I do think that you're going to get a lot from hearing her today. And before we get into the episode, because it is a shorter one, I wanted to do a solo that is helpful to you. Probably could have been a whole episode, but I think it's fine just being the episode before the episode because not everyone really needs these questions. But you know what? I was thinking about it and these questions are questions to kind of get closer when you're dating someone, when you're going out on dates with someone, let's say like fourth, fifth date. I could you could even ask these on the second or third. And it's like so important to just like get past the surface when you're dating. That is the the true key. I mean, you remember if you've been listening to this podcast, I told you on the second date with Steven. I actually asked him all these questions from that article, the 36 questions that lead to love. And the questions are a little intense and I definitely played it down. I was like, I'm going to ask you some fun questions. But it was in asking those questions that we really were able to connect and find out things about each other that we didn't know at all, like things that we had in common. And it forced us to like be vulnerable a little bit. And I think that was really nice. And so... I do have to give a shout out to the game We're Not Really Strangers. It's a great card game. If you don't have it, you should get it. Totally not sponsored. I just use a lot of their questions when I'm talking to people or suggesting that people talk about them on dates because I think that their questions are really smart. They have like these three levels. Level one is perception. Level two is connection. Level three is reflection. And so it's all different kinds of cards. And then they have these like wild cards where these like, I don't know, I usually would skip, but it's like draw a picture together, show them the first photo in your camera roll. And that's if like you're, you know, really stunted to kind of know what to do. Those are more activities, but they're also a good idea. I mean, if you want to get the book, the card game rather. But if you don't, and you're just listening to this episode, and it's much easier than ordering a card game and bringing it out on a date, then hopefully some of these questions will stick with you and you'll remember them next time you are on a date. So first and foremost, I have to say, I do not think that the topic of exes should be off limits with a person. I think that it's so important to learn from someone's past about them. And I also think that it's so important to see how they speak about their exes. Because we all know that the guy or girl who's like, my ex was a psycho or like, my ex is such a bitch, like a crazy bitch. You know that that's really more of a reflection on them. And like, we're older now. We shouldn't be talking about our exes like that. Even if you're listening and you're like in your early 20s, you shouldn't be talking about your ex like that. And if you are like, I get it. And if they really are crazy, you know, that happens, but it it does reflect poorly. It does. And so I think instead of trashing our exes, we, when we talk about them on dates, can ask questions to each other like, what would your exes say about you? Something that's like, 
what is your, and I think I've definitely asked this on a date before. It's like, what is your blind spot when it comes to dating? Like what, if I had all your exes in a room right now, what would they say that, you know, Lindsay's so bad at blah, 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 because it's usually the same thing. And it's something that you actively work on. And again, a chance to be vulnerable. Another great question when it comes to exes is what's the best lesson that an ex has taught you? Because every relationship is a lesson and every breakup, you should be taking something from it that you learned, even if it's like a self-serving lesson, even if it's like, well, I'm never dating comedians again, whatever. It's a lesson, you know? So I would say that's a great question to ask. I don't think you need to ask it on the first date. I think the first dates, it's okay to be surface level, but that's why I always say give someone two dates unless you're totally like repulsed or horrified by them on the first date, because the first date is surface. By the second or third, you should be having more interesting conversations. So I think it's okay to say, you know, what's the best lesson an ex has taught you? I think the next set of questions that we're going to talk about, it actually really comes off so confident when you ask questions about you to them. So for example, this question, what about me surprised you? I think it's a great question because first of all, you're preparing for that answer, which is like, you know, takes a certain level of confidence to to put yourself out there and say, what about me surprised you? Because like you could get kind of hurt by the, the answer. They could be like, oh, you look way better in person. Your pictures are gross. Like, I don't know. People say crazy things, but you could also, you know, get a really thoughtful answer like, oh, you know, I, th- I thought you were really pretty, but like you actually are also really kind or I really feel like you're so like you're so well mannered and it it really like I noticed it on our first date when you made sure the waiter like got his pen that he dropped or whatever it is it's like this really nice question that allows you to be complimented and then hopefully by the way all these questions are being reciprocated and asked back to you the worst thing is when you're on a date and you're just asking them questions because someone has to do it. And they're literally giving you one word answers. And it's like nails on a chalkboard. That's the worst. I actually went on a date like that once. And I asked him so many questions because I had to. It was also a setup, which is awkward. He answered all the questions, didn't ask me anything back. So I left the date and I was like, that was clearly horrible. And then the guy who set us up texted me and he was like, so-and-so had a great time. He'd love to take you out again, he told me. And I was like, what's wrong with people? So don't be in that situation. And if you are in that situation, honestly, I think it's fine to do a little gentle call out. Like, are you going to ask me back? And then if they don't get it, that's not the person for you. This one, I guess it could be interpreted as negative, but sometimes you have to like bond over something not so great about people to bring yourselves together. So what I mean is this question is, what's your least favorite personality trait in a person? So it's not talking about one person specifically negatively, but, you know, like you could be like, oh, I hate when people, you know, hang up the phone without like saying goodbye. Or I hate when people talk badly about their own sibling, whatever it is. It's a great opportunity to kind of let the other person know what's something that's off limits for you. And if it's if they say that they their least favorite personality trait in a person is something that you have, then that's also probably not a match for you. Like if they're like, I hate when someone's dramatic and you love the drama, then, you know, that can be hard to hide. But usually they'll say something like, you know, I I hate when people can't like commit to a plan a few weeks out because like I'm such a planner and then you know a little bit about their personality and you are also like deciding if that could work for you and then vice versa you'll tell them your least favorite personality trait in a person another one speaking of personality traits is and this one is actually I think this is on the 36 questions that lead to love too is which one of your parents personality traits do you want to keep or let go of And this definitely requires a little bit of vulnerability because you're now like talking about your parents in a positive, but also like a less positive way because 
let's be honest, all of our parents have at least one personality trait that we want to let go of. Like, for example, I was actually joking earlier today. My dad has like a huge mouth and it's like very endearing and sweet. But when like you tell him something and it's like good news, especially he just wants to shout it to the world. And actually when Stephen was going to propose to me, my dad had run into a family friend of ours at the grocery store like the night before or something. And he told him. And of course, you know, thank God it didn't get back to me. But, you know, that's that's not a great trait that I would I would personally keep. But then similarly, and I'm not going to just like, you know, he has amazing traits that I'd want to keep. So I think that it's it's a great opportunity to share that and you know, maybe you just have one parent left and maybe you talk about that one parent's great personality trait versus something you would let go of. But I think it's really nice to hear that from your date and to share that with your date. Another one, and this goes back to confidence. So remember the question, what about me surprised you? This is another one on that same level, which is how would you describe me to a stranger? I really like this because especially if you're only on the second date, this is like a challenge and you have to really think. But you also probably have described this person if you're telling people that you're going out with this person. So it's an opportunity to show them your perception of them and vice versa. So like, I don't know, I'm making up a guy that I'm on a date with. Like, let's say he asked me that and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I said you're a finance guy, but you're like kind of sweet underneath the exterior, whatever, you know, it's going to be a flattering thing. No one's going to be like, well, I said you were a little boring and you kind of remind me of my grandma. Like no one's going to say that. And if they do, you're like, okay, they don't like me. This one I really like because it's all about personal development. And instead of being like, so do you see a therapist? Which can be like an intense question to ask someone upfront, even though it is so common with our generation, it's still like, it's still very personal. So what are you currently working through that others don't see? And this doesn't have to be like dark. It doesn't have to be heavy. It could be like, oh, I want to get stronger. I've been going to the gym a lot more and like trying to eat healthier, you know, or it could be like, oh, I had some issues with my boss, but like we worked it out. Whatever it is, it could be as big or as small as you want to answer, but it shows like, oh, you're actually working on something. And if the answer is nothing, I'm currently working through nothing, then I'd be a little skeptical because like, what are you doing? Not working through anything. It just sounds unrealistic. And it sounds like they'd have like a little bit of a wall up. Okay. This next one is a question that I would personally like as someone who does like their birthday but not everyone likes their birthday. In fact, some people hate and dread their birthday. So it's, and actually this one, I, I came up with on my own and same with the, what would your exes say about you? They're not in the, we're not really strangers, but I just, I like them. So this is just like describe your best birthday ever. And this could be when you were four years old, like eating Krispy Kremes with your classmates at school. It doesn't have to be like a recent birthday, especially if you're like, someone who doesn't like to celebrate their birthday. But I think that also says a lot about a person. Are you someone who plans your own party? Are you someone that all your friends know you're not going to do anything? So they always have to surprise you every year. Are you someone, are you someone that likes to be away and like secluded for your birthday? And this is great because usually when you're dating someone, their birthday comes up eventually and they'll know how to make you feel special on your birthday. And then the last one I'm going to share with you guys and then we'll get into the episode is how old do you feel emotionally? I think this is cool because like I think I go back and forth. Sometimes I feel like I'm 50 and sometimes I feel like I'm my exact age. You know, maybe someone feels like an old soul, maybe they feel really young. I think if a guy told me that he feels 21 emotionally, I'd probably be like, "All right, we have a lot of patience to channel here. But I think it's a good question because you really get into their like emotional psyche of just how they feel. And maybe you both feel the same age emotionally, which means something for sure. 
So anyway, these are just a few questions that I took um, that I really liked. I think that it's important to kind of go off the beaten path with these boring questions that we usually ask on dates and just be real because everyone is able to answer these questions. And if someone is really avoidant when you ask them pretty simple, but like a little bit more than surface level questions, then there's a reason for that. So I hope those questions were helpful and I'm very excited for you to hear everything Allison has to say and make sure you stay tuned for next week's episode because it is one of my favorites ever with Rabbi Steve Leader. He is like the best. He has such a wise mind and so many interesting thoughts. So I think you're really going to enjoy that. And just as a reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast, would love for you to write a review and I hope you all enjoy Allison. There is a lost art this holiday season, and I swear it is actually going in person to a store and having that customer experience. That is why people work in stores to make it a great experience for you. And especially when you go into a store like Tacova's, if you live in one of the amazing places where their stores are like Nashville or Houston or Austin, or Fairfax, or Charleston, wherever it is that you might find at Tacovas, I swear you need to experience this in-store situation because it's really fun in there. And they all make you feel like you're in this like Western movie and you're picking out your cowboy boots and you just leave feeling so just ready to take on any event because you can really wear cowboy boots to anything. You can dress them up, you can dress them down and they have amazing staples that they always have. They also have vintage inspired denim. So if you've been watching a lot of Yellowstone and you want to, you know, get into character, Tacovas is the place to go. Their boots are handmade by skilled craftsmen in a time-honored tradition made to stand the test of time. They have amazing customer service, which they're known for. So if there's a Tacova store in your neck of the woods, swing by for Western hospitality, a cold one, a boot shine, gift wrapping supplies on the house. You can even get your gift custom leather stamped or branded. Plus, their expert staff is ready to guide you to that perfect pair. And if you're still stumped, grab a gift card because they fit everyone. And everyone likes a gift card as a gift. I personally love a gift card because I'm picky. So start off gifting season on the right foot at tacovas.com. That's T-O-C-O-V-A-S.com. Don't go gently, y'all. Here's the thing. Making a baby is kind of weird because you go through life and you are told not to make a baby. You're told to be careful. You're you're told to protect yourself. Don't do this. Don't do that. Oh, it's going to be so easy to get pregnant. And then when the time actually comes, it's not that easy. It's really not. Most of my friends are struggling. No one really gets it on the first try. And if you do, that's amazing. But it's just rare. It, It really is. And Frida Fertility is here to help. Frida is an incredible brand. And Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. They're really simplifying the journey. And Lord knows that we could use some simplifying on this journey because it is not sexy. Let me tell you, they have ovulation prediction kits, at-home insemination kits, which is exactly what you're thinking of. Yep. Turkey basting, but with an actual modern effective solution. It's baby making simplified. And if you're out there struggling, trying to conceive, or if you're thinking about starting to try to conceive, make sure that you have the amazing Frida Fertility stuff because it's going to make your life that much easier and that much less stressful so you can actually enjoy the act of baby making. You can find Frida Fertility on Amazon, Target, or a select CVS near you. So that's Amazon, Target, and or a select CVS near you. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I am so excited to be here with writer, mental health advocate, and co-host of the Just Between Us podcast, Allison Raskin. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks for being here. So we always start with what is your favorite romantic gesture? Ooh, I love a surprise. So I think that anything that's going on behind my back, which involves planning, and then I I don't even have to think about it, and then I get surprised with it, is my favorite by far. (laughs) I love a surprise too, but I am never, I never get a surprise. The only surprise I've ever gotten was my engagement because I'm such a planner. Mm. Like I've never, ever, ever experienced it. Can you give me some tips as someone who has, it seems like, gotten surprises? I really can only say you got to have a, a partner who who really plans too. <laughs> like I think, you know, right. like I I knew I was going to get engaged and I knew like what weekend it was going to happen. So I was like, oh, like there's no way I'm going to be surprised by this. Like it'll be nice. But like how am I even going to reply? Like I'll just be like, oh, like, you know, because <laughs> we were going away to Santa Barbara and we had already started planning the wedding and all these things. So I was like, it'll be lovely, but it won't be a surprise. But then the night before we went, we went to go have dinner with his friends for his birthday and he had rented out a room and my friends were there and I was like shocked. So it was like, it wasn't like that I didn't know I was getting engaged. It was I didn't know the timing. So sometimes like even if you know what's happening, just being thrown by the day can really be fun. Yeah, I'm with you. Like I feel like surprises are underrated and there's two people in the world There's people who love them and there's Mm -hmm. people who hate them and they're just different people. I think I love them because I'm such an anxious person. So Mm. like it's so exciting for me not to have like have to do any planning, not to have to like be hypervigilant about like if things will go well or like have any anticipatory anxiety and just to like get to arrive in the moment not having done any work and still get to have fun is like very exciting for me. Yeah, no, I totally feel that. So backing up a little bit, how old are you, Allison, and where are you from? I'm 34. I'm from Westchester, New York, but I've lived in LA since I was 18. Love it. Oh my God. I literally could have thought that you were 21, if you oh ask. Oh my God. Me. Like Thank you have you such so young much. energy. <laughs> have you ever gotten that? You know, I used to get it all the time. And then I hit 30 and people were like, you look your age. <laughs> oh my God. I would kill someone. I mean, I'm 32 and I feel like, I don't know. It's so weird. Tell me if you have experienced this in your 30s. I feel like every time, because my birthday's coming up in September and I'm turning 33. And, but I felt like I've, I, don't know if I'm 33 or 30. I, like, I felt like I was 33. Yeah. I feel like in your 30s, like they all blend together almost. Oh, yeah. Before I turned 34, it was like a month or two before I was recording a TikTok and I was like, and I'm 34. And then in the caption, I had to be like, I'm not 34. I, I don't even know how old I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's wild. You've been very open about your anxiety and mental health struggles, especially when it comes to like relationship stuff. Yet you just mentioned that you're engaged. How did you kind of become like, you know, calm? I don't know if calm is the right word, but kind of deal with everything that you felt anxiety wise when it came to relationships and end up in a healthy partnership. Because I think so many of our listeners experience anxiety, mental health issues, so much, especially around relationships, because, you know, this is a dating podcast and they feel like it's in the way of them finding their person. So how did you kind of overcome that? It's been a long journey. And at this point in my career, what I really love to focus on is that intersection of romantic relationships and mental health and how the two play off each other. Because I think you're exactly right that like for a lot of us, you know, romantic relationships can exacerbate our mental health in a way that other parts of our lives don't. And that was definitely the case for me. Like growing up, I would lose control of myself when it came to boyfriends or people I was interested in or situationships. Like I I was like the worst version of myself. And for a really long time, I thought that like, oh, I'm just like bad at dating. I'm just like the quote unquote crazy girl. And then like in parallel to that, I've had OCD since I was four years old. I struggled on and off with depression. I have generalized anxiety. But like it took me forever to like put those two things together and be like, oh, maybe this is why I'm I'm struggling so much. 
And I think that everyone's journey is so different, but coming from a more anxious attachment and anxious place, for me, a lot of the healing came from, a lot of the healing came from me creating a better relationship with myself. So for a really long time, I thought that I like wasn't lovable. I thought that no one would love me enough. I thought that I was disposable. And so if you're living in that place of fear, or that's the way that you see the world, like one of my favorite terms is like what your schema is, which is sort of like the lens through which you see the world. So like my relationship schema was always like, I'm unlovable. So then every person's actions was seen through that schema. So I was constantly trying to like prove this point of view to myself by being like, oh, he didn't text me back. That means I'm never going to hear from him again, which would then lead to like me having an anxiety attack and texting 10 times. And once I started to sort of change the way I viewed myself and create more self-confidence and self-worth and just learn to like myself, other people's opinion of me, both in my regular life and in my dating life, started to shift because I couldn't It didn't affect me as much. Like one of the ways I could tell that I was getting better was in the past when I would like someone and they weren't interested in me, it would be like, okay, how do I convince them that they should be interested in me? Whereas like once I started to build up uh, my relationship with myself, if someone wasn't interested in me, I was like, that's weird. (laughs) Like I was like, oh. That's that's a turnoff that you don't think right, that I'm like awesome. Loss. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. And that was such a huge shift. And sort of like noticing that shift in myself was really what inspired me to to write my book, Overthinking About You, which really explores that intersection of dating when you have anxiety, OCD, and depression. And, you know, doing through doing the research for that book and interviews, I think people, depending on how their symptoms manifest for them, it's a different path. But for me, so much of it was just like changing how I talk to myself, learning how to self-soothe was crucial, Mm. learning how to emotionally regulate. I mean, I didn't know how to emotionally regulate until I was in my late 20s. I didn't even really understand what that term meant. But being able to get to a place where I could feel a negative emotion and it wouldn't derail my day or derail how I thought about myself was such a game changer. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. When I think of iconic and French, I immediately think of Clarence. If you're like, what is Clarence? Clearly, you need to step up your skincare routine yesterday because Clarence are the pioneers in plant-based beauty formulas and wellness. They have lymphatic drainage application methods and their double serum is one of my favorite Clarence products and my anti-aging daily holy grail skincare product. It's amazing. And you can use all throughout your pregnancy, which is pretty great. It's two serums in one, which is why it's called double serum. And it's an oil-based serum and a water-based serum. And they mimic the composition of your skin. It's made of 21 plant extracts, including turmeric, which we all know is amazing for skin, for everything. It's a gentle plant-powered formula that's great for all skin, no matter what type of skin you have. And after a week of using it, your skin really does look younger. Your pores look smaller, your fine lines and wrinkles look smoother. It's amazing. And they also, if you're like, that's not my issue. My issue is my under eyes. Well, same. I totally feel you. And they have a double serum eye, which is great. It's like an anti-aging eye treatment formulated with 13 potent plant extracts to target visible signs of aging for younger looking eyes. It's so great. And it helps me like when I apply it and then I apply my cover up, which I need a lot of under my eyes, it actually looks brighter, hydrated and smoother instead of dried out and like flaking off. You have to try their double serum and their double serum eye and see for yourself. Plus right now you can get 10% off plus a free welcome gift when you place your first order on clarins.com. Treat yourself this holiday season and use code ACME2023 at checkout for 10% off and a free seven-piece gift of skincare products. That's code ACME2023 to get your welcome offer only at clarins.com. I am so excited because our baby room is finally coming together. We have this amazing rug that I've now had for like four years from Article 
and it's still in incredible shape. It happens to be blue and we're having a boy. So it's the perfect rug to keep, which is great because I don't want to have to get a new rug. And I've been eyeing their tables because we might get a new table. They have this amazing walnut. It's called the Conan Walnut Round Dining Table. And it's on sale, at least right now, as I'm saying this. So run, don't walk. If you don't know about Article, I'm personally obsessed because they believe in delightful design for every home and they have an online only model and everything is fast and quick and affordable, which is so great because you know some of these furniture places, they take forever. They ship things like on a boat from another country. Everything takes like two weeks maximum or it'll tell you as you order it kind of what the wait time is. If it's in stock, they have a curated assortment of mid-century modern coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and boho designs. And they don't have too much. It's not overwhelming. So if you don't know where to start, if you don't have an interior designer like most people don't, you can literally just go on Article and know that most of their stuff is curated perfectly for your home. And right now, Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. So to claim this, just go to article.com slash Acme and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash Acme for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. So let's say like you are somebody who has, you know, anxiety about relationships and relationship OCD, which maybe mm-hmm. you can define for us because I know that it is defined in many different ways on social media when in fact, I'm sure there's just one way. But yeah, let's start by defining that and then I'll ask you. Yeah, so OCD is is a a beast of a disorder in that it manifests in so many different ways and like saying you have OCD, it's it's almost like I'm alive. Like, what does that mean for you? Like, it, you know, everyone's is so different. And so relationship OCD is a subset of OCD. And it's basically when, where you feel like you are constantly either doubting the relationship that you're in or like doubting your choice of partner. So like it can be partner focused where it's like, I don't know if I you know, like, I don't know if I can listen to this person's laugh for the next 30 years. And then you're just obsessing over whether or not you can listen to this person's laugh. And it becomes really draining because it's hard to be in the moment with your partner and like appreciate them and enjoy them when you just like have this intrusive thought going of like, yeah, but what if in 10 years I hate them? Or what if, or what if they're not good looking enough? Or what if like the love I feel for them isn't right and it's not real love? And then there can also sort of be more like relationship focused where it's like, what if they don't love me enough? What if I'm not good enough for them? And it's basically like whenever you have a a thought that you can't calm and that is based maybe more in fear than in the present situation. So what's really difficult about relationship OCD is that sometimes there are reasons to be worried in your relationship, right? Like not every relationship is perfect. There are valid concerns to have. And so it's really difficult for people with relationship OCD to distinguish between what is a valid concern and what is relationship anxiety. And so some of the tools I offer people to sort of like make that distinction is, are you focusing on an actual problem? Like if you're worried that like your your partner never spends any time with you because they prioritize their friends. That's a real action that they're doing and something that like they could change or when you ask them to change it, they say no thanks. And then maybe that's an incompatibility. But if it's something more that is like future, super future focused or focused on something that can't be defined. So a lot of times there is like this latching on to like, but am I really in love? Do I love them enough? And what does enough mean? You know, like right. OCD loves certainty, loves to categorize and rank things and and be like, well, I've, I've hit this bar, so now I know it's okay. But something about love is everyone experiences love differently. There is no way to really measure love. So then you find yourself comparing to other people and other people's relationships and being like, well, the way my friend talks about their partner, it seems like she must love him in a way that I don't love my partner. And so maybe I'm doing this wrong. And so you can see how it just like feeds itself. But if you can sort of take a step back and say, am I trying to answer a question that can't be answered? Or am I focusing on something that doesn't even bother me right now, but I'm just afraid will eventually 
bother me, then we're maybe heading into relationship anxiety territory, relationship OCD. Yeah, I feel like also, and I've had this conversation on the podcast before, like there are kind of two kinds of people when it comes to getting married and, you know, settling down with someone. And there are some people who are like totally sure. Mm. And then there are some people who have doubts. And I wonder like, what's the difference between doubts and relationship OCD? Because like, I know somebody who called off their wedding because they were, you know, having doubts. They were like having hives when they tried the dress on and like, you know, all of the things And they called off their wedding and now they're like, they're back together. Mm. And I don't know what to take. Like, I don't know how to take it. But part of me is like, I'm nervous because if I had such strong feelings, like I would feel like I should listen to them. But maybe that's just because I'm someone who doesn't have doubts often have relationship OCD. So what do you think? I think it's very normal to have doubts in a relationship. I actually think if somebody has no doubts at no point in their in their relationship trajectory, that's a little strange to me. I think that partnering up with another person who has a completely different background than you, who has a different family than you, who probably has different ways of moving through the world than you is always a risk. There's always some level of incompatibility in our partnerships. There's always some stuff that needs to be worked out. There's probably some feelings towards attachment on both sides. And so I think doubts are very normal. It's just what are the doubts based in, right? And so like, again, if it gets back to just like, I just have this quote unquote feeling, and then you also know that you're an anxious person, or maybe you also know you have OCD. Like if it's just this like feeling, like, I don't know, like, what do you feel when you're with them? right? Like that's another big thing. Like when you're with them, are you happy and present and you like who you are? But then when you go home, like you just feel doubts creeping in, even though you can't name them, that might be more just like something is, is triggered in you about intimacy, about being vulnerable. You might have relationship OCD, but if the doubts are like, I think this person's going to be a bad parent and I want to have kids, (laughs) that's a valid doubt, you know, like again, like I think if if you can name the doubt and the doubt is a real problem that you can take to your partner and say, I am worried about blank and it's something that they can actually choose to address or not address, then that's something you really need to pay attention to, right? Like if it's like, I'm really worried that you're going to make us move for your job and I don't want to move. Like those are the kinds of things you should name and say and talk to your partner about before you get married. But if it's like, I'm really worried that in 15 years, I won't love you anymore. And it's like, okay, but but why? And it's like, I'm just worried about that. Okay, but do you love me now? Yeah. And it's like, do you want to see me tomorrow and be my partner tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, okay, so maybe that's more just those fears, that anxiety, that OCD. So if there's something you can like actually address with your partner, that's a valid, important doubt and that you should discuss. And then if it's more like unnameable, then I think we're maybe getting into more of like just the mental health of it all. The holidays are very soon, like a week and a half, maybe less, depending on what you're celebrating. And if you haven't gotten something yet, you got to get on that. Like I personally do not want to be showing up to my Hanukkah party and not have a gift for my secret Santa. And if you're like, what do I get someone that I don't really know? What do I get that random cousin I was assigned this year? Or I just want to make someone feel included who I don't really know that well, but I want them to have a great gift. Skylight frame is the answer. If you don't know what a skylight frame is, it is that frame that you've probably seen everywhere where there are rotating photos. So basically, it's a touchscreen photo frame that you can send photos to straight from your phone very easily, and they appear in seconds. You can even preload the photos before the box is opened. So when you unwrap it and you plug it in, your most treasured memories appear. 
Or maybe you're just like playing a joke on someone and it's really funny pictures of them. Whatever it is that you're using it for, it's a great gift for everyone. Grandparents, new parents, you know, you can do a little time capsule or like baby photos of their new little one. You could do it for your husband or wife, pictures from your favorite trips. You could do it for friends and just put all the friend photos on there. And as a special limited time offer for our listeners, can also get $15 off your purchase of a skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash acme. To get $15 off your purchase of a skylight frame, just go to skylightframe.com slash acme. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash acme. So interesting because I feel like men have men like act on their doubts more than women do. I had a friend just go through something where in the beginning of dating her partner, he said something like, I'm worried that like, I'm not, it was like something like I'm worried about breaking your heart or like, I'm worried that I'm not going to give you what you want or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they like proceeded to date. And then he did exactly that. So I'm like, is that a doubt or is that like a I warned you, you know? (laughs) I think it's so hard to categorize all this stuff into like neat boxes, even though we really want to. I was actually engaged before in 2020 and my partner, my ex-fiance walked out on me and like clearly had been keeping a lot of doubts and never even really expressed those doubts to me. Instead, just was like something is missing and bounced. And so I spent a lot of time being like, what was missing? What were these doubts about? Like, what could I have, you know, could I have done something differently? And then I realized, like, I can't do something differently if I'm not given the information, right? Like, if he had come to me and been like, I'm really concerned about your OCD and what it's going to be like for you to parent with that, then I would be like, okay, let's talk that through. Like, let's see if this is something that like you don't trust me with, like, you know, but I was given nothing. I wasn't given really much to work with. And so that's why I think that like having these direct conversations with our partners, even when they're really uncomfortable, is sort of the greatest service you can do both for yourself and the relationship. Because either it's going to come out that like, yeah, your doubt's right. Like, they they do intend to continue to party until 2 a.m. even once you're married and that's their lifestyle and they're not going to change it. Or like you could be they could be like, oh, I had no idea that bothered you. Let me adapt to a lifestyle that fits better for us as a couple. But if you're not having those conversations, it's impossible to get any resolution. And then the doubts can just like really feed themselves until you like work yourself into a tizzy and suddenly like you're abandoning your fiance on a random Monday night. Right. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, first of all, I'm sorry that that happened to you, but I'm so glad that you met your current partner. But I think that that's like, like, it's not that I'm blaming men, but I feel (laughs) like that's more of a male problem than female, like to hold on to things and not communicate them. That's happened to me in past relationships where like it all came out on the day of the breakup. Right. And I was like, wait, if you had just told me you had X, Y and Z issue, like we would have worked it out. But you didn't give us a chance to Mm -hmm. because you were keeping this like resentment list and like that sucks. So that's that's really hard. And then another thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which comes up a lot, is one partner having like mental health issues or depression and how to deal with that. And I'm so curious because I am that partner in my relationship. Like I have some mental health issues. I have dealt with depression in the past, not in my relationship necessarily, um, but before I met my partner and my partner has zero mental health problems. Like it's so crazy. He is just like coasting through life, like happy as a (laughs) clam And it makes no sense to me. Um, But I do feel that that's a huge part of why we work. And I wonder, like, if it can work, if both people kind of have those same issues. Oh, definitely. I I think that there is so much stigma around having mental health struggles and that it makes you a worse partner 
But I actually find that like, if you have struggled with your mental health and you've actually like done the work to not fix yourself, right? It's like, I'm always going to have OCD, but like getting to a place where you sort of understand how to care for yourself, you have a better grip on like once things get worse or once things take a turn, stepping in earlier to address your issues, to to get the support that you need, like all those tools that you've learned on how to care for yourself are tools that you can then use in a relationship with another person. So a lot of times, like if you've had these struggles, it kind of can sometimes make you an even better partner, right? Because like you have a lot of empathy. You understand that sometimes mental health struggles or all of the time aren't super logical. You, you know, can be less judgmental, really able to not get scared away by something because maybe you've experienced that thing too, or you just like understand how it works a little bit better. Not to say that like, someone who doesn't struggle should only be with someone who doesn't or, you know, like I think so many combinations of partnerships can work. But I think that the undercurrent of all successful partnerships is the ability to understand that other people's brains operate differently than your brain. Mm -hmm. And that can be a real leap for some people, right? Like some people can be like, but you have no reason to be anxious. So therefore I will be annoyed and mad that you're anxious. Right. Where if you have a compassionate and empathetic partner, they can say, I don't understand why you're anxious, but I don't need to understand to be able to care for you or to be able to give you a little extra support or to just even let you do your own thing until you can come back to your baseline. Mm. When do you think someone should bring up issues that they have, even if it's like, you know, an invisible illness or just like major anxiety when first dating because I feel like friends of mine who have it definitely didn't bring it up until like they were deeper into it and then they kind of had to backtrack and explain like oh this is I'm not like just different this is who I was and you know things like that it's such a great question and and one of the ones I'm asked most frequently because it is such a tricky thing to navigate And I think the answer is not super clear cut in terms of time. I think it's more about the depth of the relationship that you're building. So I always say that, you know, there are going to be people that go out 10 different times and never talk about anything of substance where like it's like, yeah, I've been seeing them for a couple of months, but like I don't know what their parents do and I don't even really know where they went to college. And like we just sort of like have fun and hook up and talk about work. And so in that situation, like if they're not really sharing their full self with you and they're, you know, like the serious things that they've gone through, like you are under no obligation to really share that either. But then there are people who maybe they're a little bit older. Maybe they go on a date. They're both 35. That first date lasts four hours. And during that time, they end up talking about all sorts of things, including serious things. And in that situation, I think disclosing your mental health history to a degree is appropriate on a first date, right? Because maybe they're sharing something back with you that they've lost a parent or they've been ill or something. And that's how we get to know each other is like we each share. But I think that something to really pay attention to is how the person receives what you're sharing. And so when I was younger, I would share more from a place of compulsion where it was like this fear of rejection. And so let me put it all out there all at once. And then you decide if like you can handle that or not, right? Now it's about sharing when I think that they've earned it and when I want to see how they receive it. So when we share these vulnerable parts of ourselves, often we're just so fixated on like if they will reject us. But I actually think it's an opportunity to see if they're worthy of you. Right. Right. Because if you're like, yeah, I, you know, I, I have been diagnosed with something since I was a kid and they're like, oh, cool. Like, do you want another drink? (laughs) Like, right. Then it's like this person will not be able to handle this. Yeah. They don't have the space for it. They maybe don't have the interest in it. But if the person is really like engaged and curious, I don't think that they have to previously be super familiar with whatever it is that you've gone through. But I think that the curiosity and the empathy need to be there. And I also don't think that you need to share everything all at once. I think leading with what is more relevant to who you are now is helpful. 
So, you know, there's some, for example, maybe there's someone who's had a suicide attempt, but that suicide attempt was 15 years ago and they haven't struggled with suicidal ideation in a long time and they're doing a lot better. Like how relevant, I mean, obviously as you get serious and date somebody, you're going to want to share that, but like that doesn't necessarily need to come out in the first conversation about your mental health. Again, depending on the dynamic, right? And so I think it's really, again, instead of like time spent, it's really like how is the conversation going and do they deserve to learn more? Yeah, I love that phrasing. It's like it also takes back your power when revealing information can be a very vulnerable thing. It's like, okay, let's see if they're able to you know, meet my standard of how I'd love somebody to react to this. So I like that a lot in terms of, you know, dealing, going back to like just having a partner who is going through these issues. What is the best way to support this person other than trying to understand and stuff like that? Just like, you know, what can you do to, cause I think if this were my partner, I'd want to fix it. Like mm-hmm. I'd want to fix the problem, but at what point do you stop trying to fix it and just let them be sad in that moment, you know? So a way that I really like to conceptualize it, and I'm stealing this from Dr. Robin Gibbs, who I interviewed in my book and is also my mom's best friend, um, <laughs> is just the idea that that you are your own primary helper and your partner is your secondary helper. So with the caveat of like people who are in crisis or people who have like really severe chronic mental illness who are unable to help themselves, with that aside, for the most part, your mental health is your responsibility. And so you're the one driving the seat in terms of like what you need to do to care for yourself, what you need to do to, to feel better. Again, not if you're in crisis, not if you're dealing with certain disorders and psychosis and things like that. But, you know, for something like anxiety or OCD, when it's not at a crisis level, like it's really turning to the partner that's struggling and saying, how can I help you? Because mm-hmm. I think that there's this really harmful belief, at least in like Western society, that like your person will inherently know how to be the right partner to you. But like circling back to that idea that like we're completely different people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, because I think every relationship is an intercultural relationship because unless you're marrying your sibling, you grew up in different families and families have their own culture. And so like, not expecting that the right person will instinctively know what to do, but instead looking for someone who, when you tell them, they listen, Mm. right? So if it's like, you're like, actually, when I'm anxious, it's just really helpful for me to just like put on my favorite TV show, eat some popcorn and like zone out, you know, until I can like come back to myself. And if they're like, great, let's watch that show. Let me get you the popcorn. Right. That's wonderful. That's a great partner. But if you say that and then your the partner is like, "No, come on, let's go for a run." Oh, <laughs> and God. it's like, "Oh my god. I don't want to In any context, that's a horrible <laughs> partner." But right, and I mean, sometimes there are situations where what the what the person who's suffering is doing isn't working, where like their coping skills aren't kicking in or they're not up for even trying to feel better and and then I think sometimes partners, you know, depending on the seriousness of the relationship need to maybe step in a little bit more. And and I think like a, a way to like show love is to be able to say like, hey, like what about going back in therapy? Like, how do you feel about that? And a really great question to ask is what has helped in the past? Because yes, mm. sometimes like maybe you'll be there for your partner's first depressive episode, but a lot of times people have already dealt with these types of things. And so it's like, what got you out of the last one? How can we, you know, like help, like guide me through what we can do together to like get you there, but also like releasing yourself from the responsibility, like you said, that it's on you to fix it because it's really not it. You're just the secondary helper. Yeah. I really like that. What happened, like what helped in the past? I feel like the, you know, let's get you back in therapy. One can be definitely trickier, especially if it's a male partner, because I feel like men are like more resistant to therapy, probably less now, but then we are, I feel like the best way to get like a male partner in therapy is to like 
brag about your own therapist, you know, <laughs> to be like, oh my God, I feel amazing today. I just had a therapy session. Like we went over everything. I am at peace with my relationship with your mom, with my, you know, like all the things I feel like just promoting it instead of being like, are you, so are you going to go back to therapy? I find that that works so much better because then they're like intrigued and they like feel like it's like this secret club that like, they're like, oh, how do I get in on that? You know? (laughs) Yeah. I try not to overly gender people because I think that there are, you know, all sorts of personalities within, you know, both genders, all non, you know, across the gender spectrum. But I do think that like knowing what works for your partner is important, right? Because like, and and also understanding what their relationship to to therapy is. So there are going to be people where like they've never been, they have a really negative connotation with it. They think that that means something is fundamentally wrong with them. And I think that like you were alluding to, like the way that we talk about therapy is so powerful, right? Because if we can talk about it as this great resource, as this thing that we look forward to, as this thing that's really benefited us, then exactly like they can start to like kind of get intrigued by it. But I do think that if you are someone who really struggles with their mental health, picking a partner who looks down on therapy or medication is going to be an uphill battle. Like that is going to be really tough. And so something I think that can kind of be a a good way to sort of like a barometer early on, if you have struggles with your mental health is kind of figuring out how they feel about therapy. And I don't Mm. think it means they need to have gone, but if they have a real negative bias against it, that's something to really pay attention to and, and consider. Totally agree. And that for me would be a red flag for sure. It'd be um, a red flag for, for for dating me, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the thing is like, I think that we talk about like deal breakers as something that's universal when they're really not. Like something that would bother me might not even like be a blip on your radar. And that's why I think it's so important for people to sit down with themselves and figure out like, what are my actual deal breakers? Like, what do I know both from my relationship history and from like my personality that I cannot tolerate? And then what are things that I maybe am not seeking in a partner, but I would be okay with? Because those are two different things. And I think we often lump them into one. Yeah, that's so true. Well, so that's why on my Instagram for the podcast, I'll do like these poll questions that are like, is this a deal breaker for you or is it just a red flag? We recently did one. Um, I'm actually curious your take on it. It was a girl who was dating a guy for like a year and she found out that within the first six months of their relationship, he went to like a massage parlor and he got two happy endings. And it was she was asking, you know, is this a red flag or is it a deal breaker? Like, what does everyone else think? And I was shocked to find out that it was like 50 50. I'm curious, like what what you would think. I think it really depends on your views of what monogamy means, right? And so like, and your views on on sex work and your views on secrecy. And so I think it's one of those things where it's worth a conversation with the guy and being like, why did you think this was okay? (laughs) And like, do you see why this would be upsetting to me? And did you purposely keep this from me or did you just assume it was fine and so you didn't feel like you had to tell me like to me that's like the tip of the iceberg to like start a much bigger conversation and then I think at the end of the conversation if you get to a place where you can like agree on like what is and is not acceptable in your relationship agreement then I think you can move past it but if like they're like I'm gonna keep getting my happy endings whether you like it or not that might not work or if or if like you might even get to a place where you're like, actually, like that type of sex work doesn't bother me. And if this is something that like you do for yourself and you have no emotional attachment to it and it's part of a massage, maybe I'm actually more comfortable with this than I initially thought that I was. Yeah. Wow. You're a much more forgiving person than I am. I'm like, (laughs) that's a deal breaker and never speak to me again. Um, Allison, this has been so much fun chatting with you. Can you leave our listeners with a quote or a piece of advice, maybe something from your book? Yeah. I love to leave listeners with just the idea that you don't have to give up on love. 
that, you know, even if it's hard, even if you've had a lot of heartbreak, even if you've had a fiance walk out on you, if partnership is something that you really want for yourself, then you deserve to keep to keep striving for it. And and we can get better at doing this. And you just have to you just have to keep trying. I love it. Where can everybody find you, follow you and read your book? Yeah, so my book, Overthinking About You, is available anywhere books are sold. And then you can find me at Allison Raskin on socials. I also have a mental health focus Instagram and Substack called Emotional Support Lady. So you can check that out. And if you want to hear more of me, I have a weekly podcast called Just Between Us. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.